Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On Time in Full, a podcast from Designed Conveyor Systems. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the show. Today, we're joined by Matt Green, the VP of Lifecycle for Designed Conveyor Systems, to talk about best practices in material handling system uptime. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're, we're pumped to have you on the show here today, Matt. And so we want to cover a variety of topics here on the show to give everyone a, a broad view of some best practices uh, for this industry. But let's start off by talking about accessibility, Matt. Can you break down the decision of hosting applications locally or in the cloud? Tell us a little bit more about that decision-making process when it comes to those various options of local versus cloud. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So cloud hosting isn't isn't new, but it has been growing very quickly and its capabilities have been increasing very quickly, like a lot of things that we're seeing in, you know, the IT sector, you know, holistically. So traditionally, what people have always said with cloud hosting is, hey, there's, there's latency problems, you know, it's just not going to be as fast. And, and those problems are going away a little bit, but they're, they're still not gone all the way. So typically, what we see is like a 100 millisecond you know, threshold on, hey, how fast do you need your decisions? And if it's faster than 100 milliseconds, you say, you know, you, you probably should be hosting locally. You probably don't want to go with a cloud solution. So, hey, what does that really mean for somebody who's trying to put in a new material handling system? Usually things that we're seeing that are under 100 milliseconds, it's going to be like a scan and sort, high-speed sortation of your products. So that one, it really does make sense to do, to do locally hosting. But there are a lot of good solutions out there where cloud may still make sense. You know, micro-fulfillment is one of them. AMRs are a real big new technology that are growing very quickly in the fulfillment space. And uh, those can still make sense using cloud as well. There are low latency cloud networking features. Those are a little bit better, but still they're, they're never going to come up to the same level as on-prem, at least in the, the really near future. Another cool thing that's out there uh, is hybrid models. So some people are doing where they do a mix of both. So they'll host, say, uh, applications that are not quite as susceptible to latency problems in the cloud, things like reporting and event logging, but their I.O. integration that's actually, you know, talking to the equipment they have on site, they run those services on a local server. So it sounds like depending on the needs, the desires of a particular client that, that you might recommend something different depending on, on what their goals are. Is that where your expertise and your ability to kind of take a consultative approach really comes in and, and can be beneficial given your experience in the industry and that sort of thing? I would like to say yes. I mean, you're kind of, uh, you know, fluffing my ego a little bit. Um, uh, there, there are a lot of very good um, software engineers out there who are, you know, going to try and help people make what, you know, what is the best decision for them? Because there's, mm -hmm. you know, in this industry, no off-the-shelf solution that's going to be perfect for everybody. There's always a little bit of, hey, how do we configure this, you know, in the optimized way for, you know, a specific business case for a specific operation. And, you know, even within a network, sometimes those can be different. There's something to be said about standardizing across, but, you know, when you flip the switches a little bit and configure things to optimize each building and each, you know, operation, you're probably going to end up with the best overall fit solution. And, and it can go one way or the other, or like I said before, it, it could even be a hybrid model. I think you put that really well and exhibited some excellent humility there as well, Matt. So continuing the conversation about accessibility, how important is remote connectivity? Talk to us a little bit about that and what capabilities remote connectivity allows for. Okay, I mean, uh, what we're talking about here, these material handling systems, usually are going to be, you know, fairly, fairly complex. So having somebody can, you know, help make sure that they are, you know, essentially firing on all cylinders it is going to be critical to, 
you know, hitting, you know, hit, hitting your service level agreements with, you know, with your customers. You know, n- nobody wants to order something online and then say, oh, hey, our, our building went down for two days. Your two-day shipping is now four. I mean, that, that's a good way to start losing customers. So when you're talking, you know, a little more nitty-gritty on the, uh, on the remote connectivity, I mean, I like to break it down into two major areas. I mean, one of them is going to be your, your PLC code, and another one is going to be like your application software. And, and for anybody who's not familiar with, with the difference, I mean, your PLC code is going to be, you know, hosted like inside a cabinet, you know, uh, machine level controls like on the floor of a building. And that's going to be, you know, doing discrete controls, you know, seeing, you know, photo eye status, firing diverts on a conveyor, you know, doing machine level controls on, you know, robots or shuttles, things like that. But your software application is, you know, going to be hosted on a server somewhere. And it can be a local server. It could be, you know, remotely in a data center and like a, in a cloud solution. And that's kind of making like your higher level decisions. Things like, you know, routing, you know, uh, through the system based on barcodes. It can be batching orders. It can be managing waves, you know, throughout the operation. And, you know, two different specialty engineers are going to be looking at, you know, both of those different areas. Now, for PLC code specifically, I mean, most places are going to do them open source. You can hire PLC programmers kind of like you hire an electrician. You know, coding a large system isn't, you know, something you can go to, you know, any mom and pop shop. You probably want a, a larger company who has experience doing them. But for small troubleshooting, I mean, you, you want to have open source. You want to have flexibility. The server host software applications, those are usually going to be proprietary. There's a lot more going on in them. So having, you know, people in there, you know, besides, you know, being proprietary code and intellectual property, you may not want people, you know, necessarily tweaking the things like, you know, they can with a PLC code. So back to your, I guess, initial question, hey, remote connectivity, you want people to be able to, you know, remote in and see what's going on. You'll have a maintenance staff on site, you know, looking at the system, but they're not all going to be software engineers. They're not going to be experts in, you know, the source code going on that's controlling the system. But, you know, you want somebody who can help them, you know, diagnose, troubleshoot, and, you know, keep the system, you know, optimized, you know, avoid downtime or, you know, just maximize, you know, throughput and the, you know, overall effect for the whole reason why the system's there in the first place. Excellent stuff, Matt. You know, when we're talking about uptime, an important word just in that conversation is is proactive, right? Is the ability to, to be proactive. And so proactive monitoring is a big part of this conversation as well. And it's something that we wanted to discuss. So tell us a little bit more and introduce us to proactive monitoring. Give us some details there and tell us why it's important to this conversation. Sure. So whenever you're building one of these systems, there's going to be, you know, some level of, you know, redundancy, right? So, I mean, a good example would be like a barcode scanner. You know, you have a, have products going through a scan tunnel, you know, the, the barcode scanners are looking on, you know, all the different sides of a product trying to figure out, hey, where do these things need to go? And, you know, when, when you have redundant scanners, you know, one may, I mean, go down for any reason. It's a loose connection. It got dirty. Somebody, you know, bumped it and knocked it, you know, out of alignment. But the other scanners there are going to be picking up, you know, essentially picking up the slack. So when you're looking at the system, everything is still running. But in reality, you've, you've lost your redundancy without even knowing it. So proactive monitoring is going to be, you know, looking at, you know, what is going on in the, at, you know, at the digital level, you know, what is happening with the system? Is something going on where, you know, we can't, you know, uh, have the same effect that we, you know, the system was designed for. In this case, you, you'd see a scanner that has a really horrible read rate. But even though the packages are going where they're supposed to go, as soon as the second scanner has an issue, the whole system basically comes to a crashing halt. So if you're proactively monitoring, you can see, hey, I have something wrong, and you address the issue before it becomes a problem for the actual like, throughput of the system. 
So, I mean, that, that was just one example. I mean, you can have this done through automated reporting, periodic check-ins, a whole bunch of different factors that can go into, hey, how do you proactively monitor the system to make sure that you're not gonna have these downtime events. You can see the problems creeping up before they manifest themselves into a, a real effect that you know, hurts, the, you know, hurts the building. Absolutely. That, that ability to be proactive is mm -hmm. is absolutely huge, right? To, to be able to see those problems coming before they create downtime, I think is, is obviously a big thing. And it's an important thing to highlight as well as is maintenance, right? So let's talk a little bit about maintenance. There are a lot of different types and varieties of maintenance when it comes to hardware. Talk us through some of those different types of maintenance and why they're so important when it comes to uptime uh, with your equipment. So Let's see, there, there are different levels that we talk about, you know, right. uh, you know, for either an asset management program or, you know, just basically the overall way that you set up the maintenance, like within a building. First one we talk about is like, we call it reactionary. Run the system until it breaks and then you go ahead and fix it. And people will say, oh yeah, we don't do that. But in reality, it, 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 it does happen. In the short term, it's the cheapest way to do things, has the least amount of planned downtime because you just keep on running the system. You don't take it down for maintenance, but when it goes down, it's, it's always going to be at the worst possible time. Every time you have a system go down on a fault, it's going to create excessive wear, you know, especially if it's going to be something mechanical and that's going to cause, hey, you know, in the future, you're going to have more downtimes as a result. The next step up is, is preventive maintenance. This is where, this is where the majority of people, you know, live. Preventive maintenance, you're on like a set schedule, you know, every week I'm doing this check, every month I'm doing this check, once a year I'm going to do this, you know, greasing, you know, greasing bearings, you know, different things like that. And on a set schedule, it's fine. It's a predictable outage. You know, you take the system down when you know you're not going to need it as much, you know, at, you know, Sunday at 3 a.m. or something like that. And you do your maintenance and, uh, and, and it's good. The downside is, hey, are you doing enough? Are you doing too much? Because, you know, whether you're running the system, you know, 24-7 or you're running the system, you know, you're in a light period, you're running it not quite as much, you're kind of still doing the same, the same periodicity of your maintenance checks. That brings us up to the next one. It's a conditional. You kind of adjust your period, you know, your maintenance periodicity based on the usage. It's kind of like the same thing we do on our cars. It's, a, it's you know, every X thousand miles, you, you change your oil. Right. And your computer tracks it. It's going to look at, hey, how hard are you, you know, driving the car? And it'll adjust it up and down. So that's that's a, a good one to use. And some people are getting more into that, but you have to be pulling the data. And it's a little bit more complicated to set it up, you know, capturing things like runtime, using, you know, some of those reporting to adjust your adjust your schedule. The next one up, uh, it's called predictive. It, it happens. It happens a good bit in like higher level manufacturing. It's not happening as much in distribution yet, except for a couple of small use cases, you know, predictive, we're talking about, you know, some kind of indication or some kind of sensor that's telling you, hey, you know, this thing is at some level that we recommend, you know, this specific maintenance check. And it can be something as easy as, you know, like on an ASRS crane, you put, you know, a wear line inside of a wheel and says, hey, we're getting to the point where this thing is ready to go. Or a vibration sensor into, you know, some specific component says, hey, you know, this is telling us, hey, this is this time to, to do this check on this thing before, you know, before it fails. Their extra sensor cost on some of those types of things is prohibitive. And the ROI doesn't make sense in a lot of cases yet, but that is, that is a new capability that you're going to see more and more of. Last one, people are pushing this a lot. It's kind of cutting edge, call it cognitive. You're integrating all those sensors. It's a lot of like IoT, so Internet of Things type sensors, but then kind of coagulate all this data, you know, the, the more, the more systems you have running it, the more effective it is, and then use, you know, artificial intelligence to start, you know, 
figuring out, hey, you know, we've set our periodicities based on all the data we're collecting. And then, hey, let's start feeding in real, you know, failure data into there. And let's start adjusting those periodicities. And the more, the more data you collect and the more failures you're able to record, you're able to kind of, you know, optimize, you know, hey, what is this data telling us and what's the best way to keep it up? People are, are advertising that a lot. It, it is not mainstream yet, but it, it is coming. And you start integrating that with like a, a CMMS, so your, your maintenance like software system. And you have basically the system, you know, talking to, you know, which essentially going to be another cloud-hosted platform, collects data from all the systems and telling your maintenance teams, hey, you know, what is the best way to, to maintain this and proactively figure out, you know, when and where to do the maintenance to maximize your uptime. So Matt, I was going to ask about a specific type of maintenance and highlight its importance, but it does sound like having and placing a good amount of emphasis on on all of these, except maybe the ones that, that are outside of the mainstream at this point, but, but having a good maintenance structure is beneficial all around, whether it's preventative, reactive, all the different types of maintenance, keeping them in balance and having a good plan for how those things are going to, to take place seems to be an important thing when it comes to uptime. Would, would you agree with that, that, that it takes all different types of maintenance and, and making sure that all of them are performed the way that they're supposed to be and, and performed in, in a way that, that's going to, to be beneficial in the long run? Yeah, ab absolutely. And one of the hardest things is like no no two buildings are gonna have the same, you know, ideal maintenance complement. You know, wait, what what is right for a maintenance team? What skills should these people have? You know, where where do we need to stick them? And it's and it's it's a big question and it has a you know generally a relatively complicated answer. I mean, you're going to have to have a good IT team who is maintaining your servers and keeping all your your software up to date. Because you know, even if you have a vendor provided software and they're updating that, you know, you you have your own operating system. Is is that one staying up to date? And, that, and that's generally pretty easy stuff. Most companies have a good IT team and they stay on top of you know Windows updates and making sure that that's all all taken care of and their security is taken care of and things like that. Making sure that the network is available because you know no matter how good your software system is. You know, if, if you don't have a reliable network to put it on, it's it's not going to do you any good. Do you have a good IT team who's going to help you know maintain the network? And then you get down to the actual like you know electromechanical you know maintenance of the system and the ability of those guys, you know, or girls to to troubleshoot. You know, hey, when something goes down, hey, why did this go down? And mm -hmm. start you know be able to look at things and and yeah, you know, even if they can't do it a hundred percent on their own, you know, be able to talk knowledgeably about it. You know, with with their vendor who supplied the equipment, like, hey, this is, you know, what I'm seeing on site, here are the symptoms, and then kind of work together as like, you know, a partner. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, remote connectivity. You know, a good example may be, you know, hey, I have a bunch of a bunch of packages going through my sorter, but they're not sorting. And I don't know why. Like, okay, well, let's remote into the system. And we go ahead and, hey, is this a PLC issue or is this a software issue? And, you know, start, you know, saying, hey, you know, is is the network up? Can I ping different, you know, uh, components? Hey, if I'm looking, you know, into the PLC code, because you know, a good practice is going to be, you know, having your vendor, you know, have the ability to remote in and see the PLC flags turning on and off in real time, saying, "Hey, I, I am seeing a barcode. I am logging it. I am getting a response from your, you know, host software system, which is going to be like a WMS, saying, "Hey, you need to go to divert number seven. And you know, the PLC is saying, "Hey, divert number seven, go ahead and fire when the package gets there." But it, it's not going. And now the question is, okay, why? All right, well, hey, you know, let's talk with the maintenance technician. Hey, pull out your multimeter. Let's go figure out, hey, is it getting a signal? Yes or no? If not, hey, is there something wrong in the cabinet? If yes, is there something wrong with the divert? You know, and be able to kind of work with them in that, in that team environment. 
You know, you have one guy remotely looking at the code, seeing what's happening, and the one guy on site looking at, hey, what's physically happening, you know, mechanically or electrically, and working together to figure out, hey, what is the root cause? How fast can we get this up? And the more knowledgeable the person is on site, the shorter that time is to, to bring the system back up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent stuff, Matt. So in the end, uh, the, the, the ultimate goal is for this to have an impact on the customer, right? So when we talk about uptime, tell us some of the benefits that that provides to the end customer and, and the benefits that they feel from increased uptime. So talk us through that a little bit, Matt, and give us some details there. Sure. I mean, I mean, the obvious one is, is going to be customer satisfaction and meeting your SLAs. I mean, that one, that one's easy. The, the other one that is maybe not thought of as much is, hey, when you historically have a higher uptime, you're going to get higher utilization on the system. So, hey, I know, hey, network-wide, I need X number of packages, you know, on a, you know, peak week or whatever. And if I have a, you know, 95% uptime versus a 99% uptime, that can be a huge difference. Does it mean that I can have, you know, a smaller system in some of my buildings and save on CapEx? Can I actually reduce a, a whole building completely? And, you know, save my, you know, not just CapEx, but then, you know, the operating costs overall across the network as well. So by having, you know, these systems in place, you potentially save a lot of money, not just from, you know, the obvious things on, oh, yes, system downtime, maintenance cost, all that. But really, the entire network is less expensive to implement because it works better. Very good stuff. Matt Green, he is the VP of Lifecycle at Design Conveyor Systems. Matt, do you have any final thoughts for us? Anything you want to leave our audience with here as we wrap up our conversation today around best practices to maximize uptime in the materials handling industry? Any final thoughts, anything you want to leave our audience with here today, Matt? You know, and anybody who's listening to this, I mean, they have their own business. They know it better than, you know, any integrator or consultant is going to is gonna talk to them about it. You know, just, just ask people the hard questions. You know, hey, how, what do you do to keep this up? You know, how are you going to make sure that we're keeping our commitments to our customers? You know, I mean, having the ownership in your system and, and making sure that you hold people accountable is going to go a long way in, in making sure that your own customers are going to be happy as well. Excellent stuff. Matt Green, VP of Lifecycle at Designed Conveyor Systems. Matt, thank you again so much for joining us here on the podcast today and sharing your expertise with us. Uh, thanks, Tyler. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And everyone, for more, be sure to head to designconveyor.com. There you can find more details about who Design Conveyor Systems is, what they offer, and uh, more thought leadership like what you heard from Matt today as well. So thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of On Time in Full and for joining us here today. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes of the podcast and for more content from Design Conveyor Systems. We'll be back very soon with more episodes of the show. But for my guest today, Matt Green, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us.